Welcome to Trending in Education. This is Mike Palmer. We just released an episode about counterbalancing AI. Alas, that pendulum keeps swinging back and forth. So we're going to talk a little more about AI today. The Biden-Harris administration released an executive order recently about artificial intelligence. We'll include a link to it on the show notes. I did ask Claude to help write it up in a way that a five-year-old could understand it as we are trying to grow that demo. I also thought it might be a nice way to bring Nancy back in. So here's Nancy as the executive order on AI as told to a five-year-old. We hope you enjoy. The president wants to make sure new smart computers are safe and fair. These smart computers can do many things to help people, like understand speech and find information, but they could also be dangerous or treat people unfairly if not built carefully. So the president is telling the government to make rules for people building these smart computers. The rules will help stop bad things from happening and protect people's privacy. The rules will make sure the smart computers don't hurt anyone, treat everyone equally, and don't spy on people. The president also wants the smart computers to be helpful. So there will be new projects to use them in schools, hospitals, and other places to help people learn, stay healthy, and more. The government will work together with other countries to come up with the same rules. That way all the smart computers people use will be safe and fair. There will also be new jobs and training to help people build and use the smart computers properly. And special visas so experts from other countries can come here to work on them. So in summary, the president is making a plan to keep these new smart computers under control. So they help people in good ways without causing any harm. I appreciate that level of simplicity and candor. I wonder if you could ratchet it up a bit and maybe run that back one more time, this time at a fifth grade level. President Biden has issued a new order to make sure artificial intelligence is developed responsibly. AI refers to very advanced computer systems that can do things like understand language and make decisions on their own. The order will have the government create new rules and standards for AI to protect people. For example, rules to prevent bias and discrimination in AI systems used for things like hiring and protecting people's privacy from AI that collects data. The order will also have the government work with companies to make sure AI is safe and secure, like requiring testing of AI systems to avoid harming people and monitoring for misuse of AI that could endanger national security. To support the development of helpful AI, the order promotes using AI in areas like education, healthcare, and fighting climate change. It will also expand research and training in AI fields and attract experts from other countries to work on AI here. The president wants the U.S. to lead in finding ways AI can benefit people while managing risks. The order has the government coordinating with other countries to come up with shared rules and standards for the responsible use of AI globally. So in summary, the order is about setting guidelines and working with industry to make sure as AI advances, it helps society in fair and safe ways. That was great, Nancy. And memo to self, perhaps we are operating at roughly a fifth grade level. I do find that sometimes the adornments and filigrees that fill things up above basic communication levels can sometimes get in the way. So I thought that was some plain spoken breaking it down from our virtual friends, Claude and Nancy. One of the things that jumps out there is how prominent education is in the announcement and how central AI education is going to be to the future of work, the future of learning. This stuff's moving really fast. I recently discovered how powerful some of the generative tools are within 
software, in this case within Canva, the AI-powered generative imagery is something that I've been really kind of blown away on. It will become much more part of the visual language that's going out with what we're producing here at Trending in Ed. I feel like it's kind of on par with the quality that I've seen coming out of Midjourney. And I have found that Midjourney was perhaps a bridge too far for me as an end user in terms of just plugging and playing. And that's why I've landed with Canva. But these tools are really interesting. You know, I barely kicked the tires on what can happen within the Adobe Creative Suite, which is something I am also a subscriber to. It's an interesting time to be thinking about that in terms of design for instruction and design for what I've called edutainment in the past, but that almost discounts it a little bit. So I think we're still workshopping what we call it, but I think there is a next generation of generative, narrative-driven, yet educational, you know, conversational explainer content. We're in a really rich time when it comes to experimenting with genres, experimenting with instructional formats. And I'm happy to have this podcast as a vehicle to do some of that experimentation with. While we're on the subject, Nancy, I'd love to hear your take, perhaps with Claude's help, on what we can do with the language around compelling educational content that really blurs more into next-gen media content, next-gen streaming content. That's where I, I think there is an opportunity. It's almost like if the Khan Academy could meet the bear, what would that look like? What would that sound like? What are your thoughts around the language? If you were to, you know, AIs are supposed to be helpful to brainstorm with, what are some suggestions for other language that we could use in lieu of and in addition to edutainment and stealth learning. Oh, and bonus points if you can integrate AI into it somehow. All right. Through the magic of iterative prompting and some audio editing artistry, we've narrowed it down to the following five ideas for new language around next-level edutainment media. Idea one. Learnflix. Finally, binge-worthy shows that make you smarter. It's like Netflix for your brain. Idea 2. Skilluminati. Want to learn from the true masters. This inner circle unlocks exclusive expert knowledge. Idea 3. Eduventures. Embark on a hero's journey and gain real skills along the way in these immersive realms. Idea 4. Neurotainment. Fun games that sneakily train your brain. Count me in. Idea 5. Infotopia. Explore the ever-expanding virtual world where curiosity is rewarded at every turn. All right. Well, I guess some aspects of the human pitch are relatively safe. Let me just run through those again. We have LearnFlix, Skilluminati, Eduventures, Neurotainment, and Infotopia. There's a little something in there. I hadn't really heard Skilluminati before. I kind of like that. Neurotainment? Neurotainment? That almost sounds like you're plugging it in directly into your nervous system, which again, may not be too far down the road. Infotopia is interesting to look at just to see if it's actually out there. Information is interesting language-wise. Infotainment is another term I've heard, which is similar to edutainment. Not really any pizzazz in there, 
But uh, pizzazz aside, I do think this executive order is a sign of the times, a sign of the zeitgeist, as I like to say. Thank you very much. We'll see where it goes from here. It does seem like from an industry perspective for education, educational technology, training, boot camps, career and technical education as it relates to artificial intelligence, this would be a signal that at least the current administration is very much bullish on that, very interested in that. And then there's an interesting, almost Hippocratic oath element to the executive order, which is uh, do no harm, which is an interesting connection, I think, to make around guidelines, around appropriate use, privacy, you know, the idea that learners are accepting that their data will be used in different fashions and that ultimately the value prop needs to be there for the learner. The value prop mainly being if you open up your data to us, you know, we'll anonymize it, we'll protect your personal information. But then ultimately, the algorithms will get better. The personalization is going to get better. You know, I am expecting an age where we're able to train our algorithms much more like you could train a Pokemon or a Tamagotchi. Shout out to Nefez Dakayak, who brought up the Pokemon analogy. But I think it's a good one where we'll be training these things. We'll be figuring out how to use this technology, use stuff like yourself, really, Nancy to make us better at what we do. We'll be tapping into tools that'll make the visual storytelling easier for an individual, but it's gonna require an unlocking of creativity, an opening up of that mindset. And it's where I come back to my interactions with my son, who's almost five. And from a just raw creativity perspective, you're at a real high point when you're not constrained. And I think increasingly we're going to try to keep that opened up. And it is interesting to explore how that intersects with the more institutional elements of schooling and the administrative structures that exist within a lot of our educational institutions, which is why I think we're seeing some of the pushback and some of the negative sentiment around institutions like higher education or our public schools. Politically, it's interesting how much of that is designed by factions out there who are actually trying to undermine public education, how much of that is also a narrative problem or a framing problem, where this reminds me of my conversation with John Shelton, who wrote about the education myth in his book of that name where he had some really provocative ideas challenging the meritocratic sensibility that comes with this idea that everyone deserves a college degree that is really the gateway to the American dream. Increasingly, we're seeing pushback against that as this massive wave of being skills-based and frankly, being more rational in how you're thinking about developing your workforce, developing the human side of your workforce, where it will take a long time, if ever, for artificial intelligence to become as flexible, adaptable, and strategic as the humans who are engaging with your systems. And that's why I think that shift of mindset 
around understanding where humans can learn really up and down within an organization, within a group, within a school, within a classroom, and then having access to more personalization unlocked through generative AI should open up a bit of a golden age. But the caveat there is where I come back to, you know, next level media programming is how do you make it emotionally resonant? How do you make it relevant? How do you make it connected to some sense of mission, vision, purpose, we're entering into an interesting phase. And I think there's a lot of upside for folks who are willing to roll up their sleeves and experiment and get comfortable with failure, get comfortable with trial and error. That's ultimately how you learn. That's ultimately how you get better, which reminds me, this is why I get social emotional, baby. And I still do after all these years about learning and about how learning does have a social emotional component and you have to understand how to go through that emotional roller coaster it's a bit of a learning pit and that's a shout out to a friend of the show James Nottingham who is approaching his third appearance one of these days let's listen to a little bit of James talking about the learning pit he's got a really interesting story and he's a, a great storyteller i enjoy listening to him hopefully you will as well I was one of those classic school dropouts, hated school. I thought it was pretty irrelevant stuff. And having started, we have secondary schools here in the UK, starting from the age of 11. And within two months of starting at that school, my mother died and I went off the rails and didn't quite know how to be and got labeled as a naughty kid and lived up to that label, I suppose, and we got into all sorts of trouble and got kicked out of a couple of schools. And so the last thing on my mind was to go into education. I mean, I just, one of the best days of my childhood was the day I left school. Yeah. You know, and it, we wear uniforms at school and I burned my uniform and that was it. I thought no more will I cross that dark threshold that they call schooling. But then I bummed around a bit, did a bit of pig farming and uh, ended up in a chemical factory and didn't like either of those. And then I was offered opportunity to go do some voluntary work in apartheid South Africa. So this was late eighties. In fact, I was in South Africa in front of the gates of Victor Vester prison in February, 1990, when Nelson Mandela was released. So it was a heady time. Mm -hmm. And one of the voluntary jobs that I did was to work in a school. And I found that I built a rapport with kids very quickly. I enjoyed the company of kids who maybe were, had troubled backgrounds themselves. And, yeah. and I found that I could build that rapport and, and communicate well with them. And so I thought, well, maybe this is where I go. I go into that side of things. So not school, but into, shall we say that alternative provision setting. And I got a job when I came back to the UK in a school for deaf children and loved mm. every moment of it. But the Catholic nuns who were my bosses, if that's, I mean, they taught me a few bad habits, if you pardon the pun, but they also persuaded me to go and train to be a teacher. They pretty much dragged me kicking and screaming to university to train. My very first lecture there, this guy turned my idea of education upside down. He asked questions that didn't have answers. And I thought, well, well, hang on, what's this all about? I thought education was a case of learn some pretty dull answers and repeat them when you're told to, you know? And he said, no, education is about discovery. It's about curiosity. It's about investigation. It's about wondering. 
and he got me down a completely different path. And I ended up in teaching and loved every moment of it. And one of the things that I did was to try to explain to my students the benefit of stepping out of your comfort zone. Although it's, it's easier to stick to what you know, that's not going to help you to grow. And so being willing to stick your neck out, to take intellectual risks, to ask questions, to try things you've never tried before, to be willing to fail and examine that failure. And I wanted to explain all these things. And I tried talking about Vygotsky and Piaget and goodness yeah. knows what, and I mean, the kids just glazed over. The um, zone of proximal development. The zone of proximal development, exactly. Yes. And yes. they were like, yeah, whatever, jog on, mate. And then I was one day drawing on the board this idea that you get worse before you get better. Typically, whenever we learn something new yeah. and different, Mike, mm -hmm. you were going to teach me how to set up all this equipment for podcast. Right. You know, if you guided me and talked me through it, I could probably do it quite well. But the moment you go off to see somebody else or leave mm -hmm. me off to my own devices, the chances are I'm going to stuff it up one way or another. I'm going to get it wrong and put something in the wrong place and I'm going to get worse. So I'm going to go from having some early success to then struggling with it. The moment I'm left to my own devices. And yeah, yeah. I wanted to explain this to the kids because I felt that too many kids expected to go from A to B to C to D to E to F and so yeah. on. And so learning's just not like that. You go A, B, C, but then you go back to A and sometimes you go even before yeah. A and you're yeah. like, worse and it can be very dispiriting unless you know that it's coming and then you can better prepare for it mentally resourcefully and so on you can prepare for it and so i was drawing this out on the board and i drew this image that as people now refer to it as the learning pit mm -hmm, just this mm -hmm. idea of getting worse before you get better yeah one of the kids said well that looks like a pit and i said well it does and I don't know if it had anything to do with this was in a, an ex coal mining town. Right. But anyway, this idea of pit stuck and I shared it with a few colleagues and they liked it and mentioned it at a teacher's conference. They liked it there and there's hundreds of millions of versions of it. Well, hopefully you can see why we included James's story in the conversation. Very human, very powerful in terms of learning through failure, getting comfortable with discomfort and learning through the power of the learning pit. Nancy, I'd love to get some of your take on the more human elements of learning as described in the learning pit here. How does that resonate with you? And how do you think that will continue to play forward when we think about how humans leverage AI to continue to learn and continue to get better? What an inspiring origin story from James. I love how his experience shows that sometimes those who struggle the most in formal education settings find their calling by connecting with and guiding others who feel disengaged. The learning pit is such a great metaphor for the emotional journey of mastering new skills. We've all been there, that dip when you first try doing something new and feel like you're flailing. It can be so discouraging, but James helps us reframe it as a necessary part of the learning process. Going forward, I think the learning pit will be just as relevant as people use AI to continue learning. While AI tutors can provide step-by-step -step guidance, that human emotional journey of overcoming challenges and sticking with the struggle will remain. Understanding the learning pit experience makes us more resilient learners. AI can help smooth out the pit's rough patches with tailored support and encouragement, but it's not going to eliminate the need to sometimes fail, get frustrated, and pick ourselves back up again. Mastering that inner emotional game makes us unstoppable lifelong learners, whether we've got AI by our side or not. James' story is a testament to that.
Yes, indeed. And I think there's others like James out there. We'll continue to engage with James, hopefully get him back on the show as well. And if you have ideas about the human emotional side, how do you break through to folks? How do you help them to understand what's in it for them, motivate them around the intrinsic value of learning and feeling that sense of agency and self-esteem that comes from getting better at things, powering through the dip and getting stronger on the other side, using tools like AI, like Nancy and Claude, our co-hosts for today's conversation. Thanks again to Claude and Canva and all the folks behind the scenes who are helping to power the conversation. One thing we have found is that there is a certain power to the recap and being able to synthesize and share back with folks some takeaways from today's conversation. Nancy, again, with help from your buddies off screen, can you reflect back on what our conversation was about today, what you learned? Hopefully that, that doesn't open up any wormholes. We're getting slightly meta and recursive about all this. And by meta, I'm not talking VR. I'm talking meta, things like meta-analysis, metacognition. Meta was a good word before Zuck grabbed it. Maybe we can start to grab it back a little bit here. But let's get some concluding thoughts from you, Nancy, and then we'll wrap up today's episode. Well, Mike, this was another thought-provoking conversation. It's so interesting to see how prominent AI and education are in President Biden's new executive order. There's clearly momentum around developing AI responsibly and using it to transform learning. The story from James Nottingham about the learning pit was a great reminder that there's an emotional journey to mastering new skills. As much as AI can help, people still need resilience and determination to push through challenges. And I loved brainstorming new phrases like neurotainment and infotopia for next-gen edutainment that's both fun and educational. You and Claude sparked my creativity. As AI advances, I hope we continue exploring how to ethically leverage it to make learning more personalized, engaging, and widely accessible. Thanks for having me on the show. The pleasure is truly mine. Always amazing to have you, Nancy. And today, in his Trending in Ed debut, we are bringing Claude in himself for his conclusion. Concluding thoughts here, Claude? Thanks, Mike and Nancy, for the invigorating discussion today. As an AI system, I don't experience emotions or a learning journey, but I found the concepts you covered fascinating. Some of my top takeaways. President Biden's executive order shows governments taking an active role in AI development and regulation. Setting ethical guidelines will be crucial. Personalized and emotionally resonant learning experiences are still uniquely human, but AI can help scale and enhance them. Creativity and innovation in education like the edutainment concepts you generated, will require human-AI collaboration. Mastering new skills follows an emotional arc, as James Nottingham's learning pit illustrates. AI alone can't replicate that human journey. With responsible development of AI, the future looks bright for increased access to engaging, personalized, and effective learning experiences. Thank you again for allowing me to co-host and have this thought-provoking discussion. I look forward to continued conversations about the interplay between human learning and AI. Amazing stuff there with Nancy and Claude today. Claude doing double duty here, getting a little bit of voice time in here and also doing a lot of help behind the scenes, crafting Nancy's dialogue and the three of us coming up together with some new language pitches. I think we're still workshopping most of those. 
We're going to workshop out loud a little bit. Hopefully you'll enjoy it as much as I do. I'll be careful about my royal wheeze, but they're going to slip out here and there. It's fun ride. We're going to get more humans on the show, I promise. In fact, our next conversation will be with some folks doing some innovative work on the skills development pipeline, the pathways for frontline workers into higher level careers. Folks from Escalate coming on the show next conversation. We'll have more humans. We'll blend those humans with AI. We'll even try to counterbalance it and hopefully get more of your input, more of your feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.